Good morning. My name is Stan Horton. Today's scripture reading is Genesis 41, verses 37 to 57. It can be found on page 35 of the Black Pew Bibles. If you do not have a Bible of your own or know someone who needs one, please feel free to take one of the Pew Bibles as our gift to you. Again, that is chapter 41, verses 37 through 57. Please stand as you're able for the reading of God's word. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has chosen, has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him in marriage Azanath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. And so Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of those seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, Azanath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, 
the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to them, Go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Josh Govier. I am one of the pastors and elders here at Chatham, and I am excited to be here. I'm excited that you guys are here. Um, So especially if you're new, welcome. If you're not new, welcome anyway. Um, No, I'm really, really happy to be here um, and excited to continue on in uh, the series. Before I forget, um, children are released uh, two years through... Um, eight, seven, eight. Um, if you're new here and you want to just send your children back or take your children back to the foyer, somebody will meet you there um, and direct you and your children for, for where to go. Um, one quick announcement. Um, John was praying for Unity Sunday, which is coming up. Um, October 9th, which is just a a really exciting time where we are partnering with other churches um, in Christ. And it it happens to be that two of the churches are predominantly white and two of the churches are predominantly black. And um, one of the churches that we are hoping to partner with is actually where Sergey is at this morning. So he's preaching it at New Life. Um, So that's just, it's very exciting for for me and for us as as Chatham as we are. Connecting with other like-minded believers here in our community to see um, God's name displayed. So while he is there preaching, I am more than happy to um, jump in here to our series on Joseph. Uh, Our series, A Conspiracy of Grace, Uh, we've been walking through the life of Joseph and we have seen how God has been at work the whole time in Joseph's life, um, that he has been moving the pieces around for the good of Joseph and for his glory. Um, last week, we left Joseph in prison. Um, he was forgotten, and we talked about last week how Joseph was forgotten um, by the cupbearer just as Jesus was forgotten by the Father so that uh, we could be remembered. Um, So I want to draw us back to that, that Joseph was forgotten. um, Because we pick up here in chapter 41 um, with Joseph being remembered. Um, Finally, here in this story, we begin to see the conspiracy starting to look good for Joseph. We start to see circumstances changing for the better. Um, so here is my outline for today. Um, the first point is Joseph's new life. Um, then we have Christ's new life. And then our new life. 
So Joseph's new life, Christ's new life, and our new life. And um, my sermon in a sentence goes something like this, is that new life in Christ comes with a purpose and a mission. Um, So how I want to start today, since uh, we only read really a a portion of the the text that we're covering today, which was a long portion, um, but I want to start by telling the story, which is, so all of chapter 41, and then we skip over to part of chapter 47. So this is the the Josh paraphrase um, that you're going to get this morning. So hopefully you read this on your own. If not, go back and read this on your own. Um, But now you're going to get the Josh paraphrase. It starts out, after two years. That's the first line of of chapter 41. After two years, this is two years of Joseph um, sitting in prison. Now, scholars disagree if this is two years total of prison or just two years since the the cupbearer forgot Joseph. But the point is, it's a long time for Joseph to sit in prison in the pit, uh, waiting, hoping for something to change. It's a long time and it's an important detail that from the end of 40 to the beginning of 41, two years goes by. We read it very quickly and we're like, oh yeah, Joseph was in prison and now he's not. Great. right? A lot of time has passed. A lot of sitting and waiting, a lot of affliction um, and slavery has passed. So, But this story, like really many other stories in, in Joseph or any other parts of Joseph, starts with a dream, or with two dreams. Um, Pharaoh, the the king of Egypt, has two dreams at night, and these dreams are so vivid and so real and so disturbing that each dream wakes him up in the middle of the night. And he wakes up from the first one and goes back to sleep and has another vivid and real and disturbing dream and goes back to sleep. And then when he wakes up in the morning, he can't shake this feeling. He is... Disturbed, he is troubled. These dreams have really affected him. But he's Pharaoh, right? He has all of the resources of the land available to him. So he gets up and he calls all of his magicians and all of his wise men. These are professional dream interpreters to come help him. If you remember last week, the cupbearer and the baker They were troubled because they didn't have these professionals that they could turn to. So they were in prison, they had dreams, and they said, who do we turn to? Who who can we get this interpretation from? They didn't have the people that they normally had, and that troubled him. Pharaoh has everybody, all the resources, um, all of the, the knowledge, all of the learning at that time, Pharaoh has at his disposal, and he uses them. He calls all these wise people together through the whole land, And he says, hey, I had this dream, tell me what it means. And they can't. So either that means they can't give him uh, an interpretation that makes sense, or they're just like, we don't know what this means. This is beyond our ability. So this continues, Pharaoh is is troubled. Um, He must be talking about it. He must be um, bringing many people in because now the cupbearer, knows about it. And the cupbearer all of a sudden now remembers Joseph. He says, I remember my trouble and my affliction. I remember, basically, he said, when I was in prison, there was this Hebrew kid who could interpret dreams. You should ask him. So Pharaoh does. Pharaoh brings Joseph out of jail very quickly. He shaves him and 
um, gives him new clothes. Now, this is a, an important small detail. Um, one, just because he is Pharaoh and he is very important, he doesn't want somebody who is smelly and ratty coming into his courts, right? So Joseph needs to clean up before he enters the presence of Pharaoh. Um, but there's another important detail in there that, that Joseph was shaved. Um, and this is a way of Pharaoh giving Joseph a new identity. This is a way of, of taking away part of his Hebrewness and making him more like the Egyptians so that he would be accepted, that he would fit in better. And so, so already we see Joseph's identity beginning to change. Um, Joseph's life beginning to change with Pharaoh. So Pharaoh calls him up and he says, Joseph, hey, I hear you can interpret dreams. Joseph very quickly and very emphatically says, no. Dreams belong to God. It is not I who will interpret your dream, but God will give you a favorable interpretation. This is, again, this is significant. Remember, Pharaoh just called all the magicians and all the wise men of the land who were unable to give him what he wanted, were unable to interpret the dream. And Joseph says, it's because it's not with man. People don't do this. God holds the power. So here Joseph is saying, God is better than your magicians. God is better than your wise men. He does what no one else in the land can do, which is interpret the dreams, uh, the dreams that he gives. Now... um, it would be tempting to look at this this story as Joseph jumps um, out of prison um, to to look at it as just like a, a coincidence, right? That this is just great luck. This is it's really neat how all these moving pieces work together. Um, but I want to pause for a minute and consider the importance of dreams in these stories, in Joseph's story, um, that. The story starts with two dreams, right? Joseph has two dreams that um, his brothers, and they bow down to him, and that his father and mother bow down to him. And and this is really what gets the ball moving, gets the the story going, um, leading to eventually Joseph being sold into slavery. And then last week we saw two more dreams that really change the course of Joseph's life. Um, The dreams of the baker and of the uh, cupbearer. These were not just chance dreams that happened, right? God is the giver of dreams. And then this dream that Pharaoh has dramatically changes the story. It dramatically changes Joseph's life. Um, To me, I think these dreams make clear that God is in control of this situation. That he is making the pieces move when he says move. Because God is the giver of the dreams. It was not by chance that God gave Joseph the dreams in the beginning. It was not by chance that God gave the dreams to the cupbearer and the baker when Joseph was there to interpret. And it is not by chance that God gives Pharaoh these dramatic and disturbing dreams that Pharaoh can't shake. So we can't look at this story and say, it's amazing how it worked out. It's amazing that all these weird things just kind of came together. We have to look at it and say, God orchestrated this story in this way for a reason. 
Now, we also can't look at this story and say, like, man, isn't it just really cool how, how God just takes bad things and, and works them for good? That is absolutely true, and we see that in this story. But we have to go deeper than that and say that, that God was in control of and orchestrated even the bad things in this story. It was on purpose that Joseph was in prison, right? So that he could hear the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. So now, when the cupbearer is in Pharaoh's presence and Pharaoh can't remember his dream, who does he turn to? He says, hey, now I remember. There was this guy, Joseph. There was this Hebrew um, who could interpret dreams. So these dreams show God controlling every part of this story, every part of the situation, um, clearly working for Joseph's good. But on a much, much larger scale, he is working for his glory. God is working for his glory, and he's working for the salvation of people. Now, back to the story. Let's continue the story. So the cupbearer uh, remembers Joseph. Um, he's brought up, and, and Pharaoh says, I hear about these dreams. Can you interpret them? So let's look at the dreams themselves. The first dream is of seven cows. There's seven healthy cows. They're, they're eating by the Nile. Um, everything's great. Everything looks good until seven more sick and skinny cows come up and eat the other cows. Which this is that's a disturbing dream, right? This is a dream that would probably wake you up. It would probably wake me up. Um, there are car- carnivorous cows here devouring other cows. Mostly I just wanted to say carnivorous cows. Um... But it's disturbing, and, and Pharaoh is, is shaken. And then he has another dream that's very similar. There are seven ears of healthy grain um, that are growing and everything's great, and then there are seven ears of, of grain that are, are withered and dried up by the desert wind, and they come and they swallow up the other corn. Now, some of us maybe, maybe jokingly would say, well, hey, look at... Look at these cows. They can eat whatever they want and stay thin. Right? Um, I relate to that just a little bit. Um, I can eat a lot and stay thin. And, and when I tell people that, it's like, oh, hey, that's awesome, right? Well, except for in, in part, at least for me, the reason that I can eat and eat and eat and stay thin is because I have Crohn's disease. Which means my body doesn't process food the way it should. Which means that, that I eat and I don't really get the nutrients that I need from the food. So ultimately, like it's, it's not a good thing, right, that I can eat whatever I want and, and stay skinny. It's, there's a problem with my health. Um, so this is, this is true. Uh, this is not a good thing. This is not like the cows eat and they say thin and, and thin is great because we want to, but this is a, it's a serious problem. It's showing serious sickness. Um, and Joseph, he gets to that point with, with Pharaoh that the, the cows that stay thin even after they have eaten these really fat and healthy cows, he says it's because in the time there's, there's a famine coming, that God has revealed what he's going to do, and in the time of famine, the time of plenty will be forgotten. The health will be forgotten. So Joseph in, interprets these dreams, he says... Um, God has revealed to you, again, we see God's control in the situation. God has revealed to you what God will do. He will send seven years of plenty 
That's what the seven healthy cows and the seven healthy grains of uh, healthy grains represent. Seven years of abundant food, of prosperous times, of uh, really great things. But right after those seven years come seven years of untold famine, of, of sickness, a time where the plenty is forgotten, that none of that good makes up for the bad, because the cows remained skinny, even after they devoured everything. And Joseph says, um, the fact that there are two dreams means that this will come to pass for sure. God gave you two dreams. It means it's fixed in stone. Um, it will happen, so you better do something about it. Now, here in the story, Joseph moves from interpretation to application, something hopefully we are all doing as we uh, interpret Scripture. But he says, again, so this is still the Josh paraphrase. He says, Pharaoh, you should appoint somebody who's wise to take care of this problem. There's going to be famine, um, and if we don't do something, people are going to die. But if you appoint somebody to tax the people, to take one-fifth of the grain during the plenty, um, we can use that in the time of need. Pharaoh says, I like this idea. You have a good idea. You do it. I'm going to appoint you to take care of everything. And he does. That's what Joseph does. Joseph goes throughout the land and, and he begins taxing the people and he begins storing up grain so much so that the grain is um, unable to be measured anymore. There's too much. Again, this was a very plentiful time. Um, and now the famine comes where they run out of food everywhere else. But it says, but in the land of Egypt, there was bread. At least for a while, because um, they were storing up and they were so plentiful. But eventually that bread runs out that the people have. And the people go to Joseph and they say, Joseph, what do we do? How do we get bread? And Joseph says, sell me, I'll sell you the bread. Give me your money and I will give you food. So this goes on until they are out of money. There's no more. They can't, they can't, they don't have anything to buy bread with. So they say, Joseph, we don't have any money. Why should we starve? You know what? Take our livestock as well. Give us food and we'll give you our livestock. So he says, okay. And they do that until they are out of livestock. Joseph um, now has all the money and he has all the livestock. And the people say, we don't have anything left to give. All we have is our land and our lives. So take our land and take our lives and, and please give us food. And so he does. So by the end of this story, Joseph has gone from a prisoner, a slave with, with no rights and no power, um, no influence, to owning most of Egypt. Or being second to the man who owns most of Egypt. Uh, see, Pharaoh has given Joseph a new life. A life that Joseph could not imagine. A life of influence, a life of power, a life of prestige. Um, Pharaoh came, and, and we kinda, I kind of glazed over this, but 
Um, right after he appoints Joseph to this, this new life, this new task, he, he gives him things. He gives him a new position. Right? He says, you are second only to me. Here is my ring. This means you have my authority. No one will do anything in Egypt without your say-so. He gives him new clothes. He gives him a new name. He gives him a family. He really blesses Joseph uh, with a life of luxury, with a life of importance. This is the time in the story, this is the time in the movie where people begin to cheer, right? We look back and all of a sudden the story begins to make sense. We see that the suffering was not for no reason, but it was to bring Joseph to this place. We see the details begin to make sense. Now, it's really tempting to look at this story and say, see, if you just remain faithful to God, good things will happen to you. If you persevere, you will be blessed with a great life here. See, it happened to Joseph, right? He had a really rough life. He had conflict at home with his family. He was sold to slavery. Uh, he was thrown in jail. But he was faithful. And God rewarded him, right? And gave him a position of influence. It's really, really tempting to read this story that way and say, we look at Joseph as, as a hero of the faith and as somebody we will become like if we are just faithful like he is, if we are patient like he is. Now, it's true that Joseph was faithful, and that he did go through a lot of hardship, um, that he does end up in a position of power and influence and with a good life. But the problem with interpreting the story like that is we have to get rid of a lot of other scripture to do that. Um, there, are, there are many, many people in scripture who don't get the happy ending that Joseph gets, or the happy ending that Job gets, right? Many people's happy ending is martyrdom. Many people's happy ending is um, staying in prison, Many people's happy ending is dying of sickness or staying in poverty. This is not a reward for Joseph for his faithfulness. And we can't look at the same things with, that, that God will reward us here in this life with material blessings for our faithfulness. There is a reward that is coming for sure. But it may not be in this life. See, when I read this story, we have to look at Joseph as a specific man for a specific time to accomplish a specific purpose of God. Right? This, is, this purpose, purpose is nothing short of the salvation of the world. Pharaoh gives Joseph a new life, although we know that it's not really Pharaoh doing this, but God has orchestrated things so that Joseph gets this new life. Um, and this new life comes with a purpose. We begin to see the conspiracy come together. We see that, that the reason that Joseph is here is not just because of his brother's sin and selling him into slavery, but it's much bigger it's the, continue, the reason is the continuation of the line of Abraham. 
The reason is really even its partial fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham that all nations will be blessed through Abraham. Here at the end of chapter 41, it says that the whole earth comes to Egypt to buy food. Here, Joseph is feeding the world with what he has done. More than that, we see that this um, preservation of the line of Abraham, of the people of Israel, will eventually lead to the salvation of the whole world, um, not through famine, not through the provision of food, um, but through the provision of Jesus. So there's a couple of things that I want us to notice about this story um, in, in, of Joseph. The first being is that Joseph's new life comes with a purpose. And the purpose is the salvation of others. He's not just given a new life by Pharaoh to say, all right, you know what, you've had a rough life, kick back and relax. Enjoy your privileges. But no, it's here, you have this new life to save people. You have this new life to store up grain and to provide it uh, for people when they need it. So the second thing that I want us to notice is that... um, Suffering is the means that God uses to accomplish his purposes in Joseph. It's the means that he's used to get Joseph to where he is. Joseph went through great suffering to get where he is. Um, But that God is in control of all of this. So Joseph's suffering is not meaningless. Um, That's very important for us to notice as we go through hard times, as we go through suffering, um, suffering is never meaningless. So the, the final thing I want us to notice about this story, um, which I have mentioned, is that this is not the result of good luck or bad luck. This is not circumstances just happening to fall together. Um, but this is nothing short of God moving in people's lives, moving in... Um, Creation moving in nature to accomplish his will, to accomplish his purpose. His purpose, which is his own glory and the good of his people. So God has been working um, this whole time to do this. And so throughout this sermon series, we have seen many parallels between Joseph and between Jesus. And That's kind of been our point in this conspiracy of of grace. We really see um, points to Jesus. So now I want to turn um, to Jesus' new life um, and what that means for you and what that means for me. Remember last week we said that, that Jesus was forgotten by God on the cross so that you and I will never be forgotten by God. And that's a, that's a hard pill to swallow at times, right? If we see Christ forgotten um, by God and, and hanging on the cross and in the tomb. But the good news is he doesn't stay there, right? Here in this story, things begin to look up. And now we're reading this as chapter by chapter and um, verse by verse. But here the story looks up for Joseph. Um, and we are reminded... That Jesus did not stay in the tomb. He did not stay on the cross. He did not stay dead. He did not stay forgotten by his Father. 
His father remembered him and raised him up and gave him a new life. He exalted him to a new place, a new higher place, which is crazy to think about sometimes, right? Like, so Jesus, who is God, is all of a sudden exalted to a higher place than he was before when he was already exalted. Um, But here, so in, in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, we read this. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, so because of his death on the cross, because of his suffering, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So just like Joseph, after his suffering, Jesus is exalted. And there's really lots and lots of of parallels in this story. So um, Joseph is rejected by his brothers at the beginning. Um, And Jesus is rejected by his own people, his own creation. Joseph is forgotten by the cupbearer in prison. Jesus is forgotten by his father on the cross. After a time of suffering, Joseph is raised up from prison and given authority over Egypt. After his crucifixion, Jesus is raised up and given authority over everything. Joseph is given a new position at Pharaoh's right hand. And Jesus is given a new position sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. The people of Egypt bow down to Joseph. Every knee will bow down to Jesus. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Now, there are, there are many, many parallels here, but there are a couple of pretty big differences. right? One is the scope of, of who is saved and how people are saved and what they're saved to. Um, but even in how people are saved, there's a, a really big difference that I want to point out. Um, if you remember, when Joseph was saving the people, so this is in, in chapter 47, when Joseph is saving the people, they come to him, right? And they say, Joseph, save us. We will give you our money if you save us. They say, Joseph, save us. We will give you our livestock if you save us. Joseph, save us. We will give you our land and our lives if you save us. And to to be sure, now the people praised Joseph and rejoiced and were very happy to be saved. Um, But there's a big difference. They went to him. And there was a payment that was needed, right? Joseph didn't just give away the grain, but instead he took their money, he sold it to them, and he, he sold to them for their livestock, and he sold it to them for their lives. 
This is the biggest difference. Jesus doesn't require the payment from us for our salvation. In fact, he gives the payment himself. He is the payment for our salvation. You see, because there is nothing that we could give in return for this. There is no bargaining with God for your soul. We can't go to God and say, God, if you save me, then I will go to church on Sundays. God, if you save me, then I will give you at least some of my money. God, if you save me, I will devote my life to you. See, the reason that we are unable to is because the problem is way bigger than famine. It's way bigger and more complex than than buying bread, where there can be an exchange of goods or services. Our problem is that we are separated from God by our sin. You see, you and I have said, God, we don't need you. We don't trust you to be in control of our lives. We don't want to trust him. We think we can do better. Or we believe the lie that God is not trustworthy. That he does not have our good in mind. That because of our circumstances, because of life, for whatever reason, um, we don't trust God. It's a problem that can't be fixed by our good works or our wisdom. Um, Really, it's a problem that we can't solve at all. It's a problem that is only solved by God himself. There's a God-sized problem that only God can solve. You see, because to be in the presence of God requires perfection. So just, just like um, Pharaoh did not want um, somebody who smelled bad and didn't look good in his presence, God requires perfection in his presence as well. But you and I can never meet that standard of perfection. Even if we give our life, right? So the people say to Joseph, we will give our lives in service. And, and God says, that's not enough because your life is not perfect. There's nothing that you can give on your own. But God, uh, being a gracious and loving God he is, notice the title is Conspiracy of Grace, not a Conspiracy of Judgment. Um, The gracious and loving God that he is provides a way of salvation. He says, I will send my perfect son to be that perfect righteousness, to get you in the presence of, of me. So instead of requiring your life, I will require his life. His life is the only life that can make this payment. It's not like one of you could go to somebody else and say, you know what, I'll take your punishment. It doesn't work. Your life's not perfect. Um, Jesus is the only one who does that. And he does this not by us coming to him first. um, But he comes to us while we were still sinners. While we are still saying, God, I don't want you in my life and I think I can do better, God graciously comes to us and says, no, you can't. And you desperately need me and you desperately need my grace and you need my son. 
You see, this is good news because Jesus comes to us when we are helpless and offers his life for ours. This is the good news that you and I can be made holy. That we can be in the presence of the God of the universe, the giver of life, the holder of all joy and pleasure. You see, we are given a new life only through Jesus. Now I want to turn now and and look at our new life, our new identity. Just like Joseph is given a new identity, um, and to an extent, Jesus is given a new position, a new um, title, uh, we are given a new identity when we are saved by Jesus. So this is in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 and 18. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In Christ, you have a new life. You have a new identity. Part of the question is, what does this new life look like? In our everyday circumstance, in our everyday life, what does this new life look like? One of the things it looks like is that we don't have any fear anymore. You see... We no longer say, God, I don't trust you with my life because I'm not sure that you have my good at heart. But now we can fully trust God in all of our circumstances. We know that just like in Joseph's life, um, his suffering was not meaningless, but God was working for his good the whole time. That in our life, God is working for, for good the whole time. He is working for his glory and for our good. You can trust in whatever circumstance you are in that God has not forsaken you. If you are in a constant time of suffering, whether that's um, physical illness or mental illness or poverty or broken relationships or fill in the blank with many, many other circumstances that that I have not thought of, um, God has not forsaken you. You have not been forgotten. You have not been left in the pit. We can trust that. One, because we see the story of Joseph. Right? That that's a good reminder that God did not forget. But we have something um, much bigger that we can look at to remember that we, have, we are not forgotten, that God has not forsaken you. We have the cross to look at. That when we doubt if God can use this bad circumstance that we are in, we remember that God used the cross. God used the death of His Son for the greatest good. When we are tempted to think that God has forgotten us in our time of suffering, we are reminded that um, God did not forget Joseph and He did not forget His Son. That we don't worship a dead Savior who is in the tomb on the cross, but we worship the resurrected Christ 
who now reigns um, seated at the Father's right hand, orchestrating things in your life and in my life. Or, you know, let's say that your life is great right now. Let's just pretend that, that your life is great. Um, work is good. Your family's good. You're financially secure. Um, you're sound. You have good hobbies that you like to do. We're very tempted to think we got here because of our hard work. This good life is because of our choices in life. That we worked hard and we deserve where we are at. I think that the story of Joseph um, doesn't allow us to do that either. That our, our good circumstances cannot be attributed to us and to our hard work. Not that your work does not play into it and not that you are not responsible for your choices, um, but that we see that God is ultimately the one orchestrating events. Whether that event is suffering in hard circumstances or whether that event is um, a time or season of joy and of good circumstances. See, we're tempted to think Joseph was a great guy and he is rewarded for being such a great guy. We're tempted to think that same thing in our own lives. That we are good people, we love God, and therefore we will be rewarded for it. Again, to be sure that's true, um, we will be rewarded with God in heaven. Um, but here in this earth, that may not be true. Some of you are thinking, well, that's not me, right? Like, I know that that's not right. Um, but this, this, really, this theology seeps into our lives a lot easier and quicker than we realize. A quick example of that in my own life is, is that um, I don't know if I would have ever said that out loud, but I certainly believed that. That because I was a good Christian, because I loved Jesus, because I read my Bible, because I went to youth group and went to church, that my life would work out. That I wouldn't have conflict, that everybody would like me. Because Christians are likable people, right? We're happy, we're nice, we're joyful. Um, <laughs> I, I believed that God owed me for my good works. And, you know, for the most part, my life has turned out pretty great. I have a job that I love. Um, I have a family that I love. We are provided for. And it could be really easy for me to say, look, see, my theology was right. God rewarded me for my faithfulness. Except for that flies in the face of the gospel. Right? That flies in the face of the glory of God. Your good circumstances are not a result of you. They are blessings to be sure, but they are blessings given by God because he so chose to give those blessings. Your hard circumstances are not just a result of you. They're a result because God chose to give you these hard circumstances for your good and for his glory. So whether good or bad, we cannot look to ourselves as the reason we are where we are. Now there is responsibility for sure. 
um, for people. And there are, are bad choices that we make that lead to bad consequences. And there are good choices that we make to, that lead to good consequences. And I don't want to discount any of that. But I want to say that just like in this story, um, God has worked that out for your good and for his glory. Now I want to be careful here as I say these things. The truth that God is working all things for his glory. This is true emphatically forever and always, right? There is nothing that you can do that will thwart this plan of God working all things for his glory. That means in your life, God is working things for his glory whether you know it or not. Whether you like it or not. You may despise God and um, you're at church just to make fun of people who are here. And God is working all things in your life for his glory. Now this, this other part of this truth that I've been talking about, I want to be careful and clear here as well. Um, that the fact that God is working all things for your good, this is a truth that is reserved for those who love him. For those who are saved by him, those who are called by him. Now that may sound like bad news, and it is to an extent, um, but the Bible doesn't just give bad news without good news. The Bible gives good news, which is if you are an unbeliever, if you are not a worshiper of God, if you do not love God and trust him with your life, you can. If you repent from your sins, if you turn and trust in Jesus, you can and will be saved. And then this truth that God works things for, for the good of those who love him is true in you. And you can trust him in all circumstances of life. Good and bad that we've been talking about. Now, um, I want to talk a little bit more about this purpose. If you remember my, my sermon in a sentence is that um, this new life comes with purpose. And we, we saw that with Joseph, right? His new life was not just a life of ease and a life of luxury, um, although I imagine that there was luxury in his life. Um, he was a royal official in Pharaoh's court. Um, and Jesus' new life, um, there was also purpose as well. Um, both of their new lives, both of their new positions were for um, God's glory and the good of others. And so I want to talk about your new life and my new life if you are in Christ. Um, and here I look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, your new life and my new life, if you are in Christ, is in essence not your life. But it is now Christ's life. And he will direct your life for his purposes. And to be sure that is good for us. And one of those purposes is, is what we read in, in 1 Corinthians, um, that this new creation that you have been made, you have been made a minister of reconciliation. 
This new life comes with a call, it comes with a mission, it comes with a purpose to declare the glory of God to others. To declare the grace of God to others. It means preaching the gospel to others. Wherever you are in life. Your job, your family, your home. You see, we are not saved just for a life of luxury and happiness and comfort. Right? We are saved um, for a purpose, and that purpose is God's glory. Imagine with me, just for a second, if Joseph was given this new life, this incredible new life with influence and power and purpose, and he sat in the palace. Right? He's like, you know what? This is pretty great. If I call, people come to me. They bring me grapes. They fan me with giant leaves. I don't know if that really happens or not. But um, I'm just going to sit here and chill here for a little bit. And a little bit turns into a lot of bit. And comfort becomes the ruling factor in Joseph's life. What happens? What happens is people perish. Right? If Joseph does not go do what he is called to do, people perish. Other people suffer because of his inaction. Now you and I have been called with a purpose as well. And so often, um, please hear me talking to myself as much if not more than to you. Um, I find myself wanting to be content in the comfort of my life. In the security of my salvation, knowing that I am okay with Christ, I, I find myself wanting to stay there instead of desperately pleading with others for the same thing. Now to be clear and, and make sure I'm not spouting heresy here, salvation of other people is not in your control and is not up to you. Um, but your mission and your purpose remains the same. To go and declare the glory of God to others. To go and preach the good news and salvation to others. So just as it would be ridiculous for Joseph to sit back and not fulfill his purpose of his new life, um, it is just as ridiculous for you and I to sit back and not fulfill the purpose of our new life. Of actively seeking the glory of God in every part of our lives. Which to be sure includes the good of others. We are ministers of reconciliation called to preach the good news to others. Now there is grace upon grace upon grace in Christ. Um, But that grace doesn't lead us to comfort and ease here on this world. That grace leads us to action. That grace leads us to, to love of other people. Because I've said this before, um, and it's, it's always convicting to me. Uh, let's be honest, you talk about what you love, right? All of us do. Whether it's a new car, whether it's a, a new child, whether it's a, a family member, um, whether it's your favorite video game, whatever it is, you talk about what you love. We talk about what we love. So we should be talking about Jesus. Right? Because we have been given a new life, way better than anything else. 
I mean that with all the things that I've listed, right? Way better than your new car. Way better than your new video game. Way better than your new job. Way better than your new child. Way better than your family member. I don't mean that in any disrespect to any of those things. But I mean that as Christ is so much better than we imagine. This new life that we get is better than we imagine, better than we know. We see glimpses here and there um, of its goodness, and we look forward to the time where we see this new life in its fullness. Now, as we turn to the table, we are reminded that our new life came at a great cost. We're reminded that our sin is serious. But even more than that, we're reminded that the grace of God is bigger than our sin, more powerful than our sin. We're reminded that Jesus did not stay in the tomb, but he was raised from the dead and exalted over everything. We're reminded that we worship the resurrected Christ. So as you come to the table, remember these things. Remember your new life and remember your purpose. Now, if you are not a believer, if you are not a worshiper of Jesus, please don't come to the table. But instead, take this time, repent of your sins, and turn and trust in Christ. And then experience the new life that is offered through him. As we take communion, we will come forward um, as the band plays. Um, You can come forward and you can take up here or you can go back to your seats if you want more time to think, meditate, pray. Uh, If you are in the balconies, you can come forward where you are. Um, There are tables set up there. If you are unable to come forward for whatever reason, please just raise your hand and one of our elders will be happy to bring communion to you. Especially if you are new, please raise your hand high or if you're sitting by someone new who has their hand raised, direct the elder um, in that way. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to take communion together. Father, we thank you that we can trust you in all circumstances of life good or bad. Um, We thank you that you orchestrate all things for your glory and for those of us that love you, all things for our good. Father, remind us today um, of our sin. Holy Spirit, convict us where we need to be convicted. But more than that, as we consider our sin, Remind us of your grace and your love for us. Remind us that, yes, you died for our sins, but that you have been exalted um, and are higher than any other name um, and more glory is ascribed to you. Uh, You are the only one worthy of honor and glory. That who we worship today here, even at the table, is not just the crucified Christ, but is the resurrected Christ. And that in your new life, we have new life. Remind us of the purpose of our new life, to bring you glory. 
to seek the good of others, to be ministers of reconciliation. Father, help us to worship you here as we sing, as we take communion. Ask these things in your name. Amen.